All right, well, we're going to get started. Welcome to Bible study. We're glad you're here. It's an exciting evening here, Monday night. Got a yawn already, and I just started. That's <laughs> so encouraging. Okay, okay. All right, let's open our time in prayer and ask God's blessing. Father, thanks for uh, just the opportunity to meet, and thank you for being our teacher. I pray that you would really just uh, lay some truth on us tonight and, and some revelation on us tonight. And I pray, God, that we'd be open to receive what you want to say and what you want to show us. I ask, God, that our own thoughts and ideas wouldn't get in the way. And I pray that we would conform our thoughts, conform our ideas to you instead of expecting you to conform to us. I ask you, God, that we would come into this uh, as a people who would be pliable and be open and ready for change. So, God, tonight, I just pray that you speak. I pray that, God, we listen. And I just ask you, God, that our lives would be changed because of your word and because of the work of your Holy Spirit. So have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11, if you need a Bible, just uh, you can grab one right off the table here, and we have some available. Luke chapter 11. And while you're opening there, just a quick reminder that uh, we do have a, uh, a forum that's available for people who would like to participate in our Bible study time uh, through a website at www.speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com, slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. Now you can go there, there's a button, and if you click the button, it will record your voice like a voicemail, and you can ask us questions or leave comments, and we will endeavor to respond to you uh, within the next week or so. So if you'd like to do that, Head on over to speakpike.com and uh, leave us some kind of a message or some kind of a question. Luke chapter 11, I need a volunteer that can read verses 39, 40, and 41 of Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, 39 through 41. Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who make the outside make the inside also? But give it as all to those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. All right, thanks for reading that. Uh, one of the reasons I chose this verse, I had uh, picked this out a while back and marked it and put a few notes on it, and one of the notes that I put on it was something that draws a difference between this passage and a similar passage in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you want, you can keep a finger in Luke, because that's where we're going to go back to. But if you'd like to, you can turn to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 25. And what you see there in Matthew 23, 25, is uh, a similar thing that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. But there's a couple differences in what's going on there. Would anybody like to read that? Matthew 23, 25? Oh, 
Okay. Now, what do you see added to the one in Luke? There's one thing that's really obvious. There's one thing that's really obvious uh, that was added in Luke, and then there's one thing that would be you'd have to read it in context to pick it out, and it's less obvious. It's different about the Luke passage to the Matthew passage. What's one obvious thing you see here? He gives him instruction, right, in Luke. And that was what I noted on the verse, because I've taught out of the Matthew verse lots of times. Uh, it's one of my basic teachings when I start, used to start campus ministries. It's not a foundational teaching, but it was one of my basic teachings that I would use uh, fairly often on new campuses, where I would go to a campus and I would speak, and I would take this verse in Matthew twenty three twenty five, and I would talk about God being interested in what's going on inside of us more interested in what's going on inside of us than what's going on outside of us. And so uh, we tend to, and I always used it as kind of a, a, a general verse to begin to speak to people's history, if they have a religious history, to really begin to challenge some ideas that they've grown up with. And because what we're trying to do is, sure, I mean, you start a, a campus group you're looking for new believers. You're looking for people that have never known Jesus before and that come into relationship with him, and they're going to follow him, and you're going to teach them. But inevitably, when you start a campus ministry, you also get people that have been Christians for a while, and they want to be a part two because they need fellowship or whatever, and that's cool. But what happens to us is that we come into wherever we come from with baggage. And one type of baggage that I cannot abide with is this kind of baggage. Because this kind of baggage is the worst kind of baggage. And this kind of baggage is the kind of baggage that keeps other people from really drawing near to God. This is the kind of baggage that keeps other people from really finding peace and, and really being able to let themselves be who they are and don't feel judged, you see. Because when people really are that concerned about the outside in themselves and that concerned about what the outside is going on and what inevitably happens in others, it creates a circumstance where people feel like they're under scrutiny and judgment and they will refuse to just be themselves out of fear. And so of the, the kind of baggage that people bring with them, from their old religious places, this is one, and, and I'm, I'm totally honest with you here, this is one that just cannot abide and follow after the model of who we are and what we're doing. It never could, and it never will, because it's diametrically opposed to what we're trying to accomplish in people's lives. So this was a basic teaching. In other words, this is something I needed to confront right away, and so I taught this lesson out of Matthew 23, I don't know how many times, at least, at least 20, 30 times I've taught out of there. So Luke adds a couple things. One, he adds some instruction to it. And that was what I wrote in my notes as I was going through this. And, I, and one of the reasons I flagged this passage was that, that, that last verse, that verse 41, that's added on to there, where he tells him what to do. And so I wrote out, give to the poor, question mark. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But there's a reason why 
he says that. There's a reason why that's included in this verse. And it has something to do with the other thing that's not so obvious in the difference between this verse and the one in Matthew. Anybody want to take a guess? Or you don't have to. It's, it's not really that obvious unless you read the context of the two verses. Two passages are in context. And so the one is in a specific context and the other is in a, a different context. Anybody want to guess? Because it's, it's not really that obvious, so I'm kind of setting you up for failure here. All right, I'll tell you. The, the passage in Matthew is spoken to a, and I'm going to use this word in quotes, to a class of people, a type of people. In other words, Jesus is speaking to teachers of the law and Pharisees. And as you think of them as a group of people, right, that's who he's talking to. He's talking to this group. And so he's making an overall statement to, if you are of this type of people or this generation of people, this is your issue. And it's a, it's, it's a generic statement. It's a specific statement to a generic group. In other words, you can think of it as a specific group because it narrows down to teachers of the law and Pharisees, but there were a lot of teachers of the law and Pharisees, and so he wasn't picking any one person out. He was saying, if you're part of this group of people, this is, your, this is an issue that you have. And he's addressing that issue to them. So he's speaking to a class of people. The passage in Luke, in contrast, is being spoken to an individual. He's at a Pharisee's house. The Pharisee had invited him to come and eat with him. And so Jesus had accepted the invitation. He was participating in the hospitality of the Pharisee. Now, mind you, we all know what happens when you go to the Pharisee's house. They're checking you out while you're checking them out. And you're trying to figure out what's going on. So he's probably questioning Jesus. I didn't read, uh, I didn't read back on it today all the way to as far as I should have. But he, he's going to be someone that's going to question and going to pry and going to try to figure out what's going on with Jesus. And Jesus, on the other hand, was always interested in people. And so you had this going on. So he's at an individual's house. He's eating with this individual, and he speaks this to him. He, he speaks this, this idea. He speaks this word to him. And he, he uses the term Pharisees, but I want you to think about it. He's talking to one person, not to a group of people. And to me, that's a significant difference. Because, I mean, it's one thing to say, you people. It's another thing to cause, call somebody by name or to be speaking directly to someone. And that's exactly what he's doing. In the Pharisee's house, while he's enjoying the food or whatever he's eating or doing there, he's confronting this individual. And so that plays into why I believe there's an instruction that's given at the end of this. Because he's dealing with an individual. He's dealing with one person. And so when he gets to the end of describing the issue, he gets to the end of describing what's going on in this guy's life, he says, all right, this is what you need to do. All right, so what does that say about his instruction? 
before we even get to it, I want to say something about it. What does that say about his instruction? Who's it for? That guy. Do you understand that? You can get into a lot of trouble in the Bible when you take something that's given as an instruction for one guy and trying to make that for everybody. Because that is not necessarily valid or true. Even. It could be, but likely not. Because you think about how God deals with you. You think about how God deals with each one of us. And I really believe this. I think that God deals with us individually. I think he deals with us as the individuals that we are. And God will speak to me differently than he'll speak to Rebecca, or he'll speak to me differently than he speaks to Maddie or Peter, whoever. Because I am used to hearing him a certain way. Not saying he won't change that or speak to me in a different way. He might. But he understands me. He knows what makes me tick. He understands what what sends me into a weird uh, kind of uh, cycling of thought and what doesn't. And so he may confront something in me a certain way, but then another person that's confronted in the same way, it would totally freak him out and be ineffective. I mean, we understand that about people. I understand that about people. There's certain ways I'll talk to certain people and certain ways I want. If I as a human being can figure out how to be more effective with the person next to me, surely the God of the universe can figure out how to be more effective with each one of us. And he does. And so by saying that, what I'm trying to say is, is that God does speak to us as individuals. And so the way I hear things, the way I understand things, aren't always the same ways that you are. And the same things are going on with you. We may have the same issue going on in our life, but the solution for me is going to be different than the solution for you. That's why I can't take this guy's solution. I can't just look at this guy's solution and say, well, that's true for everybody, because it's not. I mean, it's a good thing to give to the poor, right? Sure. I'm I'm not saying anything about that. Of course it's a good thing to give to the poor. But is that the solution to our problem, whatever your issue may be? I don't know, probably not. I, I, it's, it's, it's not your solution. It's not my solution. So what can we learn from this? Well, because we have another passage like this, we know that he's speaking to more than just one person. And he does use the word Pharisees. All right? So he's including other people in it as he's speaking to this one man that happens to be standing there. And so he begins the, the process, says, You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. So he shifts the the statement right in the middle of the sentence. He he shifts the emphasis. If you read the first part of the sentence, it sounds like he's talking about washing dishes, right? Yeah. But now you read the end of the sentence, what's he talking about? He's talking about what's going on in that guy's soul. What's happening inside of him. So he goes from, you clean the outside of the dish. In other words, what he's describing there is is a common practice among the Pharisees. A common practice among the religious elite. And that common practice was that there was a certain way that hands were to be washed. There was a certain way for dishes to be washed. There was a certain way for things to be done. And what he's describing for that, he said that these are your traditions. These are your habits. These are your ways. These are how you go about being holy, whatever that means to you. That's how you go about it. 
And there's something that's instructive to us about that is because somewhere, at least some of us, in our brains, we have those kind of things, those superstitions, those habits, those whatever you want to call them. They're the things, the traditions, the religious traditions in our life that we have held on to for whatever reason, but when we do those things, we know that's good. All right, we're holy. Uh, whether it is a certain way that we confess our sins, a certain prayer that we pray, a certain uh, thing that we do, whether it's, you know, we're going to fast today because I messed up yesterday, or whatever it is, all right? And I'm not putting down fasting, I'm not putting down repentance, I'm not putting down praying, I'm not putting down any of those things. But when they become a tradition, and by that tradition, that religious practice, we can somehow put a claim on holiness through doing that, it's messed up. And that's what he's saying. Anything wrong with cleaning your cup and your dish? No. Wash them up. Wash them up. It's good. It's good for you. It's good for your dishes. It's good to eat and drink out of clean dishes. That's good for you. All right, nothing wrong with that. That's why I'm saying this. Fasting, nothing wrong with that. Praying, nothing wrong with that. Repentance, nothing wrong with that. What's the real issue? Well, the real issue is the attitude. The real issue is the way that this Pharisee is seeing himself in his relationship to God. Something's wrong with it. Something is wrong with it. One way or the other or both ways, likely. He doesn't realize he serves a God that is slow to anger and full of love and mercy. A God that is looking to know him. A God that is looking for relationship with him. A God that is just, uh, that he's ready. Ready to embrace. Ready to, to, to be in relationship with. Ready to communicate with. Ready. Without any of the jumping through the hoops. Without any of that. Oh, I forgot to say my special repentance prayer today. Yep, he's still ready. Oh, I, I, I forgot to fast a meal because I messed up yesterday. He's still ready. He's still ready. See, something is deficient about the way that they're going to view themselves, that the person is going to view themselves, but then something's deficient about the way they're going to view God too. Because it's the lack of grace, the lack of mercy, the lack of love. That really is the issue. And whether it's the love for self, that they, they can't even look at themselves and understand that they're loved and they're accepted and God wants them. And that, that could be part of it. But then, I mean, doesn't that beg a question about who God is too? And the kind of love and the kind of mercy and the kind of grace he's pouring out all the time? You kind of see what I'm saying? That they it's kind of a double loser way of seeing things. I want to I want to see myself the way I should. You know the Bible says, and this is kind of an interesting statement. The Bible says, "No man has ever hated his own flesh," and yet people talk about how much they hate themselves. And I always find that you know that's really kind of interesting. And and I I wonder. What gets into our minds and what gets into our hearts that convinces us of something different than what the Word of God says? Because there is something there. Because, I mean, I, people could argue, I mean, people would argue with that statement. 
If I made that statement hard and fast in whatever, I mean, even in here, right now, people want to argue with me about it. And yet, I think there is a deception that leads people to believe that, but I see it as a spiritual deception. Because we weren't created that way. Our brains were not formed that way. And so we're given this opportunity in the way that we were made. We're given this opportunity in the way that God created us that we're going to love ourselves, we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, and we're going to love God with a whole heart. Right? That's how we were created. And so anything other than that, really, in, in, in its most basic form, is a spiritual deception. And needs to be rebuked as such. And I would speak that to those that do counseling. If you're in a position where you can pray that kind of deliverance over somebody, that you do it. Because I see it as an issue of deception and deliverance. We need to take authority in Jesus' name, even if it's praying over ourselves. Take authority in Jesus' name and get rid of that. I don't know if you heard the speakers this weekend and said, if you don't love yourself, don't do anything. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. It was in specific context of what they were talking about, but I, I just thought it was funny. It's like, yeah, if you, if you don't love yourself, get some, get some prayer. Get some healing. Get some truth. Get some deliverance. Get it. Get it. Get free of that. So we, we have this start now, it says clean the outside of the cup and the dish. Well, that's speaking to all of us, where we came from. What's your, what's your superstition? What is it? What is your superstition? You know. You don't have to tell me. But you know. You know what it is, something. The only people I know really without many superstitions are people that uh, kind of came into this from nowhere. They didn't have any religious background or anything. They have no idea what to expect. Even some of them have superstitions, but less than those of us that came out of a church. Those of us that came out of a church environment, we are chock full of superstitions because there's always the way that everything's always been done. There's always what this brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, mother so-and-so, whoever it was, (coughs) father so-and-so, however your church was running, Said this, did that, modeled something, whatever it was. And so we, we just take them on, whether we realize it or not. And that becomes a default way that we begin to see, hear, know things. Know God, know ourselves. And so Jesus is speaking to that, to this very religious, very respected person. That's, by the way, showing hospitality to him right now. By the way. And so he speaks and he says, all right, so you clean the outside of the cup. Those are your traditions. That's your superstitions. That's what you think you need to do to be right with God. That's what you believe. It's your thoughts. He says, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Now, I want you to see this two ways. I want you to understand this two ways. Because there, there are two things that are going on here. One is the whole idea of 
what's going on inside this man's soul. Why is it okay to be full of greed and evil if you clean the outside of the dish? Why is it okay? You know the answer. Tell me. You look good. Absolutely. Right. Except for Jesus, of course. Yeah. Take it out. You got to take out the trash. But that is the problem. The problem is, is that we can produce a deception that will fool most people, especially people that don't care about us. And here's the problem with doing that. One, no, not one. Say, let's let's call it M. M, yeah, point M. The, The problem with that, here's the problem, you ready? We learn to receive rewards based on the praise of others. But what is the praise of others What's the premise of it? What what is it based on? Your deception. Right? So when somebody says, Hey, you're a really nice person, you're like, Oh, I'm a really nice person. Thank you very much. Or they say, You're so kind. Wow, thank you. Kind. And so we get this reward going on. But the whole reward is based on a deception. Here's the other part. We're gonna call this L. Alright? And point L is this, the other part of it. I don't want to get trapped in the one-two thing. Yeah. Yeah. The other part, L, is that we tend to seek out relationship or non-relationship with those people that make us feel good about ourselves. So, you have a perpetuating cycle, a self-perpetuating cycle. I will deceive you into thinking that I'm really a nice person. You will reward me by telling me what a nice person I am. I will therefore seek to spend more time with you because you tell me how nice I am and what a wonderful person I am, thereby rewarding me again to deceive you more about how nice and wonderful I am. And so you end up in circles of people that really don't know each other and don't care about each other, but you're being rewarded enough that it makes it worth it to you to stay within that circle. There's a real issue going on there. Ultimately, though, what happens? What ultimately happens when you're in that kind of a cycle? What do you think will happen? Well, you're going to screw up eventually, and the other person really doesn't care that much about you anyway, so are you worth working through a screw-up? No, no. Or the other person screws up, and just completely blows you off or does something rude to you or is mean to you and you don't really care about them either and you can always find somebody that will tell you you're nice so it isn't worth pursuing it and so the relationship will eventually end. Codependency is a kind of sickness so it leads to sick conclusions. All right. So anyway, you following what I'm saying so far? 
This is how this all gets perpetuated, and all of society, all of polite society, agrees with it, and it's all good. So you're being rewarded. They're being nice. You're being nice, but inwardly you're really a jerk, and you're deceiving others. All right. And so the way that Jesus describes that is, you fool. <laughs> you know what he says. Your Bible might say, you foolish people. You fool. There's a word, uh, the word he uses is inside, inside of you, it says. The word he uses there, uh, in some Bibles, it says you are ravening. Uh, In the King James, I think it says ravening. But that's such an awesome word, I had to bring it up. Ravening, it means robbery, plunder. To unjustly take from others. Isn't that the nature of deception though? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing I want you to see about the inside of the dish. That is just dirty. And you can say that's the inside of our souls. But what goes in a dish? How does a dish get dirty? You got to use it for what though? Normally you put food in it, right? Yeah, the food makes it dirty. Well, here's an issue going on with these guys. This is a little pro tip on the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and teachers of the law. I'm going to give you a little pro tip on what kind of food they were getting. See, they got their food unjustly from others. That's how they filled their dishes. They stole. It was wickedness. They lived by wickedness, dishonesty, and extortion of others. That's how they lived. The deception is that. The deception, and you start expanding the word living by deception, you start expanding what that means. Wickedness, dishonesty, extortion, robbery, plunder, ravening. That's what's in us. That's what's in them. That's what Jesus said was in this guy. Well, yeah, the dish is dirty. From what? From all that. That's his meat. That's what he eats. That's what he consumes. That's what he wants. What do we consume? Praise of others. What do we consume? People liking us. What do we consume? People telling us we're nice. What do we consume? People saying that that we're awesome. We consume it all. We eat it all. Yum, 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 yum. Dish is still dirty. It's dirty. It's dirty. Because the reason they believe that about us is because we fooled them. The reason they believe that about us is because we deceived them. The reason they believe that about about us is because we have gained that through wickedness, dishonesty, extortion, robbery, and plunder of others. And there it is. The meat inside the dish is ill-gotten through ravening. So that's the second thing I want you to see about the dirty dish. It, It represents, yeah, our soul, but it also... There's meat that made it dirty. What are we eating? Well, you know what we're eating. You know what it is. And so what's being addressed here, and it says it more clearly in Matthew, is the idea of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. I've heard so many teachings on hypocrisy. So many. We had a pastor. I used to be at a church and. He would do the same teaching on hypocrisy all the time. 
And, and he would say, and he would talk about what hypocrisy is. Anybody know, you've been, anybody's been in church heard teachings on hypocrisy, tell me what hypocrisy is. Give me the Greek meaning of hypocrisy and how it's used in ancient Greek literature. Anybody? You know this. Okay, good, Dean. You're, you're right on there. You're right on there. Okay, it goes from Greek drama where the people participating, the actors and actresses in Greek dramas, they're all actors actually, uh, in Greek dramas would use masks. And so they would be able to put a mask up and they would speak one part and then they could change out their mask and then they could speak another part. Is that what you were thinking? Yeah. And so the word hypocrisy, the root of the word of hypocrisy comes from having the masks and being able to put up a mask and become a different character and become about another mask, you become another character. And so that's where the idea, the root of the word comes from. And so Jesus is, is addressing this issue. He's addressing his hypocrisy in Matthew in the whole class of people. In other words, these people, you have a general sickness, a general malady that is over you all. And he's, and he's also addressing this man here. But the idea behind it is that this general sickness is hypocrisy. Well, well, how do he, he addresses the cause of it? But then he also addresses, well, what's the solution to hypocrisy? And right here, he, he's giving an example of it. This whole idea of cleaning the outside of the dish and the saucer. But inside is just dirty. And the meat that made it dirty, the food that made it dirty, the stuff you're eating, it's just dirty. And so you look one way, but really you're not that way. And you're getting praise from people, but it's because it's the fruit of ravening. And pretending, of deceiving, of plundering, of robbing, of dishonesty. And so you've got one thing that looks one way, but a reality that looks completely differently. And so he says, you fools. He's like, didn't the one who made the outside make the inside also? In other words, who are you really trying to impress here? And that's what he's bringing it down to. He's like, who are you really trying to impress? Well, let me tell you something. Another pro tip. You don't need to impress Jesus. And if you don't need to impress Jesus, who do you need to impress? Nobody. And I know you're going to go on a job interview, you want to put your best foot forward. I get that. But the truth of the matter is, is that we shouldn't be living our lives trying to impress somebody. And if you came from the wrong house, and you only got praised because you did something that your mom or dad thought was good, and so you learned, I'm going to keep doing this over and over again because that's how I'm going to get praised and all the rest of that stuff, you learned the wrong lesson. That's not how God works. He just loves you. He loves me. You don't need to impress him. He died for you while you were still a sinner. In other words, you get that in your head somehow. I don't know how, I really don't know how to get that into people's heads. 
It's like, like you were, while you were still a sinner, while I was still a sinner, in other words, I was just going about my business, doing whatever I was going to do, he died for me already. He can give no more. He can sacrifice no more. He can love me no more than he did when I was a sinner. There is no more love right now than there was then. And that is so weird and hard for people to understand. But somehow we've got to get that in our heads. Well, they're two different words, right? I see them as two different things. I see love as love. I see love is that outward action, caring, oversight, affection, protection, connection. Can't think of another ION word. But all of those things, but I think it love that way. And I see favor as. Uh, but we, it, it's so hard for us to even define what his favor is. We can define love in a sense because we, we have the capacity to, to love each other. We have a capacity to love someone. Even though we can't understand the depth of it, we can at least get an idea. But the whole idea, and maybe we can with favor too, but his favor can look totally differently to us than something we would consider to be a, a favor. In other words, his favor to us may be that we don't get that job. You understand what I mean? Like, because we can't see the bigger picture, we can't see the beginning from the end, for us to really define what favor is from him is really difficult. And I think when we try to define it too much, it becomes confusing or can lead to bitterness because he didn't do what we told him to. See, when we, when we, <laughs> when we define favor by what we want, that, that's where it gets, you know, that gets where it gets weird. Yeah. yeah well, go ahead. Uh-huh. I mean, those are really strong words. And, you know, in contrast to God loves the whole world and he's not willing for anyone to perish, I don't know. But then you say that when we're sinners, he can't love us anymore. Right. He already loves us that much. Right. Yeah. I don't think there's any more Esau's in the world. I seriously, I don't think there's any more Esau's in the world. I just don't. So, I, yeah, I, it is a revelation, and and it, and I, that's how I, I don't know how to bring it about. I don't know how to make it obvious, because I didn't start off thinking this. I came to understand it. I came to somehow accept it. And a lot of it is because I'm so bad at being overtly or what most people would commonly refer to as righteous. I'm just really bad at it. And I have not achieved 
all that I've achieved in this world today in my own strength. Not going to do it. No. But I have not. And, and, and God has loved me through everything. And even, you know, even though I don't really heavily define this, but I know looking in the past, and that's the one place you can really see his favor is in the past. I know looking in the past, I see his favor over my life, strongly. And so, I, I don't, I, there's no other conclusion. <laughs> I, I guess there's no other conclusion. I gave up trying to do the superstitious thing. I gave up trying to, um, trying to do the tradition thing. I gave up, you know, even my little prayers that I used to pray or whatever it is I used to do, I just gave them up. I don't even do that anymore. The one thing I still do is fast, and I check myself all the time to make sure I'm doing that for the right reasons, and that's it. And I don't know, it's like I I can't come to any other conclusion. The revelation came in hindsight. Maybe that'll help. Yeah. Because I can look back, you can always look back and see where you came from. Because really, believing that you know anything that our righteousness has anything to do with God loving us is fruitless because then He hates us all. Because we just are terrible. And we know that's not true. He loves us all. So His love isn't going to get any bigger than it already is in us. And I, and I do want to say that again. It, when we were sinners, He loved us as much as He does right now. Nope. Nope. Yeah, I don't think it I don't think that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody likes people like them. I'm not saying that. I mean, I hope you understand that. I mean, we're all human beings, we're not robots and stuff, and we all like people to like us, but they're not going to. And you figure that out. And that's okay. It's okay. And you know why people <laughs> uh, like this weekend when people come here and visit us, it's like why do they like why do they like us? Because we're so charming. Yeah. No, seriously, are we that charming? No. Pete, did you charm those people? You know <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I was afraid of. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> But see, that's the point I'm trying to make, though. It's like, don't go, if you don't go into it with any kind of dishonesty, robbery, plunder, extortion, no raven, no ravening going on within your heart or spirit or soul, and you just are who you are, you accept the fact that maybe they're not going to like you. That's okay. Because they're going to do what they're supposed to do because you're going to pay them anyway. You understand what I'm saying? Or whatever the situation is. Or you, they're going to come to work tomorrow. Why? Because they're getting paid to be at work. And you're getting paid to be at work. And you're still going to be there. It's whether they like you or they don't. Or whatever it is. It's, it's not that important in the big scheme of things. It, although it is in our, in our minds maybe. But accepting the fact that I'm going to be who I am. 
I'm going to live my life honestly, and some people aren't going to like that. That's the fact. All right, that's the fact. But if you can live that way, what you begin to find out is people will love you <laughs> because they'll trust you. Yeah, because you just are who you are. Can you follow what I just said? All right. All right, good. And so with these Pharisees, guys, you had undefiled hands. With this guy, undefiled hands because of their traditions, their rules, and their laws, but they had a defiled soul. And Jesus says, you fool. Because God made the body and the soul. Somebody look at Psalm 51 6. Somebody else, the Bible say something different than that? I mean, it's the same verse, I'm just saying. Okay. So the verse, what it's describing there, both those are correct, by the way. Uh, what it's describing there is God loves truth in your belly. That's where God loves truth, right in your belly. And the belly... And I, I talked about this right after the youth retreat. I don't know if you remember, but I was at, when I was at the youth retreat, I taught on the belly of people, that innermost being, the belly, and how you know science is just catching up with the Bible when it comes to this, with all of the ganglia and stuff that's in your belly that's also in your brain, and how your belly has an effect on the way you feel, and the way that you take in information, the way you process information like your brain does, your belly plays a part in that. And the Bible always knew that. Science is beginning to figure that out now. That's why the belly is important. They figured out that a good portion of your immune system is located in your belly. It's right in the gut. 80% of your immune system is in your gut. The belly is super important really important to who we are and to our health and to our wholeness and even to what we're feeling and even to to how we're seeing things and we're experiencing things and we're understanding things. The belly is important. And so when the Bible says that God desires truth, He loves truth in your belly, well, that's important because it's in your belly that's affecting the way you're feeling. It's in your belly that's affecting the way you're seeing things. It's in your belly that is affecting how you're taking in information. I mean, rivers of living water. You know where they come from in us? Right from your belly. From your innermost being. That's where rivers of living water come from. The belly's super important. And if we have truth in the innermost part, if we have truth on the inside, and there's rivers of living water flowing from that, I mean, you think about the effect that can have on your life. We get so upset about the brain. Well, the brain's important, but I mean, the belly's important. Rivers of living water coming out of your belly can cleanse your brain. 
They can cleanse your mind. Rivers of living water coming out of your belly can bring healing to your body. Rivers of living water coming out of your belly can bring revelation to you, understanding to you, life. You can know love through that to a deeper place than you have before. Acceptance, grace, mercy, all the stuff we talk about, more than just words. If they come from somewhere down here, that truth, those rivers of living water flowing through you, that's just in you, then think about them flowing out of you into other people. Well, they're coming from somewhere real. They're coming from somewhere honest. They come from somewhere that's infused with God and power. Not only bringing wholeness to you, but bringing wholeness to the people that you're talking to. Wholeness to the people that you're around. Wholeness in families, wholeness in workplaces, school, wherever. Yeah. Rivers. Rivers of living water. And so we have here at the end, verse 41. He gives an instruction to this guy. He says, give to poor people what is inside the dish. Then everything will be clean for you. Well, what was inside the dish? What do we say? What made the dish dirty? What was the food? It was all the stuff he stole, right? Yeah. What's he saying? You need to repent. You need to repent. Of your ravening. That's what he's saying. Take that stuff you stole. And give it to people who need it. Alright. And so for us. And again. That's what he told this guy. Alright. He was stealing food from people. He was stealing his meat from people. He was robbing. He was plundering. Wickedness. Dishonesty. Extortion. That's how the guy was living. And so Jesus is saying to him, you need to repent. In other words, you need to turn turn around and, and go a different direction. Don't keep doing it. Stop. Stop. Stop it. Stop it. Go a different way. Stop it. So, so what's the word we can get from that? And don't tell me I should go give to the poor. I mean, it might be you, but I, I'm, that's not what I'm looking for here. What's your repentance? What's mine? Well, how are you ravening? How do you do it? What's your little game? What's your con? What's your deception? You understand what I'm asking? We need to stop. We need to stop. Because when we turn around, there's some truth there in the form of Jesus. I am the way, the truth. The life, he's right there when you turn around. He's right there. And so when I use the word repent tonight, I want, I just, I want you to think about repenting in this, in this format, what I'm saying here. And really this is what repentance is all the time, but you turn and you're turning to Jesus. That's what you're doing. You need to stop it and turn to Jesus. Because there is the fulfillment of what you're looking for. Love? Yep. Acceptance? Yep. That's what he's there. Peace? He's there. Security? Right there. Life? He's right there. Okay. He's there. 
And so I want to take a few moments and I want to give you an opportunity to repent tonight before we leave here. And I want you to think about the things that you, you've been ravening for and, and, and how you go about it. And, and really, I want to encourage you to stop and really make a hard and fast decision to stop. And in the next few days, when you catch yourself doing it, stop. Because habits are hard to break. And you have to stop yourself, literally stop yourself over and over again when you catch yourself doing it. So, in other words, being aware of it is half the battle, and the other half of the battle is being strong enough to stop it in the moment. Stop it. And turn to Jesus. Lord, I really want to brag about something that I did so this person thinks I'm really a, a, a really a good person. Stop it. Turn to Jesus. And just let him let him just soak in his love instead. I really want to, you know, pretend to be something I'm not here. I, I want to say the right thing. No, I'll choose not to say anything before I just say the right thing because it's, I'm supposed to. Just turn to Jesus and let him love you. Whatever that is. You're going to start up your little uh, traditions or your little superstitions? Stop. Just turn to Jesus and just receive of his love. Whatever it is. All right? I want to see you free. That's what I want. I just want to see you living free. And it's hard to live free when you got all these little things going on. And these deceptions. And these lies. And this plunder. And you're so busy trying to produce something. Or make something. Or whatever it is. Oh, if I say this prayer, God will love me. Nope. He already loves you. You were a sinner. He, He loves you as much now as he did then. He loves you as much then as he does now. That prayer ain't going to make a difference. And how much he loves you. And again, nothing wrong praying. Just saying when it becomes something it's not supposed to be. Fasting, great thing. Until it becomes something it's not supposed to be. All right, let's pray. Just take a few moments. If you want to pray out loud, you can. If you don't, that's fine. And uh, we'll just take a few moments and pray. And then I'll close this up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise, Lord. Give you thanks. Thank you, Lord.
faith in my own comfort, God, and not just releasing that to you and following after you outside my comfort zone, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. God, I repent of even thinking about or considering what another person thinks about me. Uh, really, I, I just pray that you would set me free from that in, in any way that it shows itself up. And I pray, God, for a real liberty and freedom over my life from that. In Jesus' name. I just want to live in your love, God. Jesus, I just living in your love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So tonight, I just uh, I pray of freedom over us. I pray, God, that uh, you would deliver some of us from things that we really need to be delivered from. Deliver us, God, from the way we see ourselves or the way we see you and or the way we see you, God. Uh, that uh, things that are shrouded in just demonic deception over our lives, I pray. And I speak deliverance in the name of Jesus. And freedom over hearts and freedom over minds, freedom over souls and spirits, God. I just ask you that uh, there would be a, a release of truth in our innermost being. A release of truth into our bellies. For God, I, I call upon rivers of living water to begin to cleanse us. That from our innermost being... Would, would flow rivers of living water to bring cleansing to our hearts and to our minds, cleansing to our bodies. I pray an overflow of your truth, an overflow of your cleansing, an overflow of your healing on us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let's pray that your love would be so real to us tonight so real we find rest in you rest in that love thank you Jesus so tonight just leave you thanks for your freedom give you thanks for your truth give you thanks for the life that you're pouring out of us yes your continued work your continued work in us that we continue to battle to be free. Uh, to, to retrain our minds. And retrain our, our the way that we see things and the way that we experience things. That we could really, really, really just live free. Thank you, God.
Thanks for your love, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.